This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, August 26, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Marijuana research was for a long time simply prohibited. That research now requires a federal permission slip, which is incredibly difficult to get. That despite the fact cannabis is legal for adults in eight states and legal for specific medical reasons in many more. Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. He comments. The Marijuana Tax Act was a mid 1930s, 1937, and it was uh, misnamed. Yes, because it it effectively prohibited uh, marijuana. So if we're talking about marijuana research uh, and the prohibitions on that or limitations on that, we have to go back to that law. Yeah, it's been going on for an unbelievably long time, and it's it really upsets me because if if listeners don't know that right now. In 1970, we still consider marijuana – with the Controlled Substances Act, we consider marijuana a Schedule One drug, meaning as far as the government is concerned, it's more dangerous than cocaine, which is a Schedule Two drug which has legitimate medical uses. The story going back, as you said, before the Controlled Substances Act, marijuana came on with the first federal law in 1937 called the Marijuana Tax Act. In that act, when they were debating it, and it was a very short debate, it was mostly pushed the, – the act was mostly pushed by a guy named Harry Anslinger who was the commissioner for the Federal Bureau of Narcotics for 32 years from 1930 to 1962. And he, he hated marijuana with a visceral hatred, uh, believed it made kids insane, made them kill their family with axes. And so he pushed this and, and Congress looked at it pretty quickly. They only did four days of hearings on this. And one of the people who testified against – it wasn't even against federal regulation. It was the extent of federal regulation that was being proposed was someone from the American Medical Association who was afraid that it, its medical benefits would be would, – would not be – uh, allowed to be used for medical benefits if this tax act were were passed, and they kind of made fun of him on, when he was on the stand. Actually, and you can understand why somebody like Harry Anslinger was uh, opposing even research. Yes, because if if your if your tall tales don't hold up, uh, research uh, would might quickly reveal them as false. It kind of just becomes a a story that it just repeats itself over and over again. Harry Anslinger, they, they knew very little about marijuana in the 30s and he was convinced it caused crime and insanity in particular. In the 40s, Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia of New York City decided to have some research done on marijuana and to see if it – with sociological, medical, psychological, to see if it caused violent crime or anything of the sort and they concluded that it did not. Uh, Harry Anslinger was absolutely livid about this. He actually threatened to – throw everyone in jail. He, he wrote the AMA a, a letter. So first the AMA endorsed the, the LaGuardia study and said it was very scientific and it was well done. And then he wrote the AMA a letter. Harry Anslinger wrote the AMA letter threatening there was something and then the, AM, then the AMA decided to say it was not scientific and they continued to say that anyone who did research on marijuana was a bad person and uh, Harry Anslinger th threatened to throw all the people who did the study in jail if they ever researched marijuana again without his permission, which is the sort of thing about this. When you have a prohibition regime come in, 
you, to get it as a scientist, to get, you know, whether it's LSD, I mean, it's illegal to have, it's or MDMA or cocaine, but people are doing research on it. So there, there are provisions that allow people to get access for research. At the time in the 40s, Harry Anslinger said, you have to come to me personally and ask me if you can use marijuana in research. And of course, he's not going to do it if it's any conclusion that is against his belief that marijuana is the worst drug around. He thought it was worse than heroin, actually. So uh, was it the Harrison Narcotics Act that prohibited cocaine? That was in 1940. It was mostly opiate. Yeah. Okay, but the so was it known at the time? I mean, there was Bayer heroin uh, mm -hmm. that existed. Cocaine was it known at the time to have medical value? Yeah, cocaine is is uh, has a lot of uh, uh, analgesic effects. It, uh, it's uh, it's it like Novocaine. Uh, you get at the dentist. It comes from the cocaine, which has a deadening effect. So it was known. It, I mean. Again, the big profound question in the history of the drug war is, what is the difference between a drug? and uh, a recreational – like an official drug and a recreational drug. So there's a lot of drugs that people prescribe you that affect your brain like Xanax and then there's other things that affect your brain like MDMA and one of them is OK and one of them isn't OK. Of course, before medical practice was really standardized, before the AMA had really kind of taken over, doctors were prescribed using can cannabis, you know, going back centuries actually. They were using cocaine. They were prescribing cocaine. They were prescribing heroin and opiates and that's a huge sort of part of the discussion of the opiate addiction problem with the Harrison Narcotics Act and some of the cocaine problem. Uh, and of course, but the weird thing is with opiates, with cocaine, with LSD, with MDMA, with basically any other drug, bath salts, you know, the face eating drug, which of course, by the way, if you don't know, the legendary face eater in Florida was not on bath salts. Uh, that, that was on page 30 of the New York Times, not page one. He had a little bit of marijuana in his system, he was, but he was just crazy. Aside from that, all of those drugs, it is easier to do research on than marijuana, all of them. Marijuana for decades and decades. We just don't know a lot of things about marijuana. We don't know. There are so many active, active substances in it. We don't know which ones have positive effects and which ones have negative effects. There's a lot of, you know, there's a medicinal use is well accepted. But if you smoke marijuana, you take in all those substances. So which thing is, you know, making your appetite return or which thing is quelling your nausea or what all these sort of things that people use marijuana for. There are so many substances that there's a ton of research to be done. Even how addictive it might be. It's not very addictive, but there might be parts of it that have additive. Its effect on teenage brains is a big problem. None of this stuff we know much about. And the reason is because the government blocks marijuana research systematically and it does it more than any other drug. And in going back now, now Jeff Sessions wants to keep blocking research. And, and again, for the same reasons I'm sure that Harry Anslinger did. Well, uh, to quote Jeff Sessions in one of his, he said, good people don't smoke marijuana. And that was just a very clear-cut, black-and-white view of, of uh, what marijuana's potential uses are and that they are apparently zero as far as he is concerned. So, uh, you know, is part of the problem then that there is no Sandoz or Eli Lilly or uh, other company that could stand to make a whole lot of money by subjecting marijuana to these application processes to go through the laborious and expensive FDA trials for specific compounds? This is part of the problem. When uh, compounds are out there in the public domain, this has happened with MDMA, you can't patent it. Um, but nevertheless, there's currently a phase three trial of MDMA going on for PTSD treatment. Which, which is funded by a nonprofit. It is, yes. And so nonprofits are funding a bunch of these. At one point, the state of Colorado and the state of California were funding. So funding is part of the problem. Uh, 
Uh, it, but you can – if you can isolate parts of cannabis, uh, like – so Sativex is a FDA-approved uh, oil. I think it's an oil. It might be a, an oral. It, it, but it has one – it has cannabinoid oil in it and that's approved by the FDA because it's producing that stuff to make money off of it, to distill it down and get a very high concentrated tincture. Uh, but yes, it, it is true that the FDA does not really want to go near – and no drug company wants to go near any smoked substance. They don't like the idea it's smoked. But vaporization, they've also resist uh, a couple of times nonprofits. The MAPS is the one multidisciplinary uh, psychedelic research association. Um, they came in and wanted to study vapor rising as a method of delivery and the FDA does not like this at all. But so the basic problem is, is to get – to study marijuana as a researcher, you have to go through – you have to get a license from the DEA and if you're doing clinical trials, you have to get approval from the FDA and then you have to get the drug. And right now, the U.S. government runs only one marijuana farm in Mississippi and it's, it's the official U.S. research marijuana growing situation and it's, it's been inadequate for supply for years. Uh, a lot of their marijuana is not very good and also if they don't like your study, they just won't give you any marijuana. So there's st stories after story after story. You mean they, if they don't like the research question yes. that you were trying to answer? So this is the, that's the third level that that heroin and LSD and MDMA don't have. You can, you can go – uh, to NIDA is the, is the organization, the National Institute for Drug Abuse and they, they – you can order. There's a catalog of, of getting controlled substances for research purposes. You have to, go, you have to give them your, your number and you have to have an approved thing. And there's a whole process but MDMA is produced by a ton of contractors who are contracted to produce really, really high-grade MDMA and no one has a problem with supply when they try and get MDMA for, for study. Pretty much anything else. Even, you can even get a contract to just produce it in your lab if you're going to study on some drugs. With marijuana, you can't grow it yourself. You can't go down to a legal store in Colorado or Washington and buy it to do research on. You have to get it from this federally authorized place. And that's what Jeff Sessions has come back in and, and stopped the applications for new suppliers. And, th and that is especially striking that uh, there is this federal intermediary when you have several states, a growing number of states and that number will continue to grow that have legalized it not only for medical purposes but for recreational purposes as well. That the federal government it's, – it's so – it's striking that the federal government would want to stand in the way of, of allowing people in those states to do research intrastate to uh, better understand the effect. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand what marijuana – does to drug warriors in, in particular. It, it just seems to activate a particular revulsion they have where they're where because maybe because hippies spoke it, maybe they don't like the culture around marijuana. But the the level of resistance and the inability to reform the federal laws on this or for Jeff Sessions to come in and again stand in the way of new suppliers from research grade marijuana coming in, it's just it's particularly strange that these people seem to believe that marijuana is as dangerous as heroin or any of these other drugs. Is it as simple as moving marijuana from Schedule One, where there is no approved medical use, or to Schedule Two, or well, Schedule Three? This would be very, very important to do this. It should happen. It should have happened. It should have happened for, for fifty years ago. Um, if you can, you know, can kind of continue the story I was talking about briefly uh, when they put marijuana on Schedule One in nineteen seventy. 
they had also understood that there was no good research on marijuana. Um, and so they authorized in the Controlled Substances Act a commission to study marijuana much like the LaGuardia com Committee had done and to come up with uh, recommendations about how the scheduling should be. And so that's called the Schaefer Commission after the uh, governor of Pennsylvania who was running it. That commission suggested that uh, it should be decriminalized for personal use and there should be broad scientific study done on its medicinal effects. Nixon had said privately and in public, he says, whatever that commission says, I'm going to ignore it. Marijuana is horrible. So this like story just keeps going over and over and over. At that time, marijuana should have been at least Schedule II or Schedule Three. Right now, so is it as simple, you ask? Yes and no. The problem is, is that there's this Real, I just catch twenty two problem here, which is you need to show legitimate medical uses to be able to have a petition that reschedules it to Schedule Two or Schedule Three, but they're blocking the ability to show legitimate medical uses, and so until we get this research problem fixed, I mean, I really think this is one of the fundamental planks that we have to adjust in order to start putting some semblance of rationality in our drug laws and moving marijuana down in the scheduling of drugs until we let people research on it so they can show that there are legitimate medical uses and then they can move marijuana down to Schedule 2. I mean, it's it's funny, like Schedule 2, like so I said, co cocaine is Schedule 2. Morphine. Morphine is Schedule 2. All oxycodone, oxycodone. Does anyone think like when it comes to cocaine that, that Schedule 2 is just the Wild West? There's no regulation whatsoever. You can just walk into a store and buy cocaine. No, no one thinks that. That. Schedule two drugs are still highly regulated. There, it, is, it is, you know, felonies to possess, felonies to, to distribute like large quantities. People are in jail for cocaine, and still we can't move marijuana into Schedule two, if nothing else, so people could have an easier time of researching. It's really quite absurd. Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 